the Bavada at Odds podcast. My name is Seth Everett. I'm joined by the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow, as we break down the latest odds in all the major sports. NFL week to week as the playoffs are upon us, we'll break down the latest odds plus the futures. It's the Bavada at Odds podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcast. Sports MLB Show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 95 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show with Sam Schmall. My name is Chase Fedorsky. First show of 2021. We just finished up the Heisman Trophy ceremony, which up until about three hours ago, you and I had absolutely no idea was occurring. So ESPN College Football. Get it the fuck together with your advertising. This is the Heisman <laughs> Trophy. They make such a big deal over the broadcast saying, oh, this is the most exclusive award in sports. How exclusive could it have been if I didn't even know it was happening tonight? Maybe I just watch less ESPN than usual these days, but yeah, no clue it was happening. I mean, absolutely surprising there. Um, don't have a ton of baseball news this week, admittedly, but we do have some free agent rumors. We are going to take our first look in a couple weeks at the Hall of Fame ballot tracker. Uh, we are also going to make our picks based off an MLB.com article of who we think is going to be the best player on each MLB team this year. Uh, but to get started, I do want to say you actually texted this to me uh, in advance. I want to say a quick um, glad that you are okay to Tommy Lasorda. Released from the hospital, we spoke for him uh, because we don't get to say this very often. He is our brother. He is a member of Pi Kappa Phi. We all swore the same esoteric oath. So, Tommy, glad to hear you're doing well. Um, and, and I'm going to say this, and this is going to sound really terrible coming out of my mouth. But just bear with me. Uh, you know, I'm a gambling man. I like to place odds. But what do you mm-hmm. think the Bavada Sportsbook odds would have been on Tommy Lasorda not making it out of 2020? had the Dodgers blown the World Series. Oof, just nothing left to fight for. It had to be minus 200 or something like that. I'm pretty sure he even publicly said, like, if you guys don't win this time, I'm going to drop dead. <laughs> I mean, I've met him once, and so that sound, sounds like his sense of humor. I mean, it's terrible to say, but I think that's just, you know, that was what Tommy had left. The last World Series team to win was 1988. It was his team. They're in constant heartbreak. So glad the Dodgers got a win. Glad Tommy Lasorda is doing okay. Uh, We'll jump right into the number 95. There has been no 95 uh, ever worn in pinstripes, and there's only been one in baseball, and that was Trevor Rogers, young lefty for the Marlins, who made his debut this year. Uh, So the other four that I pulled throughout sports, uh, you might know the two basketball ones. I didn't. Uh, One is DeAndre Bembry, and the other is Juan Toscano-Anderson. I've heard of the former, not the latter, but not all that familiar with either. I couldn't rattle off any teams or or stats or anything like that. And on the football side of things, uh, we do have football Hall of Famer, Richard Dent, defensive end, Bears, Super Bowl shuffle, Kyle Williams, multi-time Pro Bowler for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, So, you know, number 95, I guess the number 95 is probably the most significant in our lives because we have a lot of friends born in 1995. That's really all I can think of. The Yankees. It was the year before the dynasty in 95. I'm trying to think who won the Super Bowl. Maybe the Cowboys? 
That sounds right. I mean, it would, the Cowboys are Niners, but I'm pretty sure it was Cowboys in 95. And you know what? It was one of the years that Hakeem won a ring. So, you know what? Go 1995. All right. Hakeem the Dream. Michael Jordan was playing baseball. Hakeem and Clyde won a ring. Uh, so, this week, you know, it is 2021, and we make the jokes a lot, at least me and my friends do, because we have a sick sense of humor. Oh, it's 2021. COVID's over. The reality is, it's not over. We made the same jokes when Joe Biden was elected president, and uh, COVID is still rapping. It is still running rampant on our country. I had to wear a mask, and I sweat through it on my walk today. Uh, but you guys don't want to hear about my body sweat and my body odor. If you know me, you know it exists. Uh, but there were a few interesting notes uh, on COVID-19 and how it's going to affect the MLB season, the first of which uh, came from The Athletic. It came from Evan Drellick. Uh, and he said that, like the NBA, Major League Baseball and its clubs will work with public health authorities on issues related to the availability and timing of vaccines for players and other employees. Um, but all that said, they will not jump the line. They will not take vaccines until they are widely circulated and given to medical professionals and the people who need it the most. Um, so, look, I mean, from a PR standpoint, this is great. And as professional athletes – you shouldn't be getting the vaccine before the people who are in need. Um, but it also then goes hand in hand with another report from The Athletic that said, as of now, as the new year begins, spring training for the 2021 Major League Baseball season remains on schedule with camps in Arizona and Florida scheduled to open in the middle of February, just six weeks from now. Um, so I guess, you know, those two things kind of contradict themselves. But, uh, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, whether or not we think the season's going to start on time. Uh, you know, with that in mind, would, would you say the Bavada odds for an 162-game season are in our favor as baseball fans? Or do we think that given the vaccine isn't going to be circulated and the fact that owners are who they are as sports owners, we're still in trouble? I think we're still in trouble. I don't think it's going to be quite as shortened as last year, but a full 162, I just I don't buy it. I think we might get somewhere in the range of 135-ish just because, like you just said, the vaccine is not going to probably be distributed to players and staff 100% before the season starts. And so you might need some leeway in terms of makeup games this year, much like the NFL has done or the NBA in terms of just postponing. If there's an outbreak or a couple of positive testing, you do contact tracing and then reschedule it and play it later. Totally agree with you there. I guess another question I have with this is, you know, the MLB owners, they're in a tricky spot because the teams proved last year that they, they can make this work. They can play without a vaccine. Um, but obviously the vaccine would make everything go smoother as you're traveling from city to city. And it would allow the Blue Jays to play in their home stadium. As of right now, they're scheduled to play in Buffalo again. Do you think we could see a shift in the reception to the owners? Because I think – Rightfully so, last year, everyone took the side of the players and that the owners wanted to limit the season to 60 games to save as much money as possible. Do you think now, though, if the owners try to, take, try to reduce the amount of games played under the pretense of we want to wait until the players are safely vaccinated, that fans will begin to take their side more and more? Or do we think that ship has sailed a long time ago? I think just in terms of the – general fan the ship has sailed but I think it's going to be interesting because I think the only way that the owners could find some sort of redeeming sympathy would be if they come transparent with their financials because unlike the NBA the MLB and the MLB Player Association don't have revenue sharing so when the NBA lost revenue the NBA was able to come to the players and say look the pie has gotten 
smaller. So everyone's piece is getting smaller. And when it grows, all of our pieces will, will grow, whereas that's not the case with the MLB. So if they play, as of now, 135 games, every player gets paid less just because it's not a full 162. I have one more point on COVID, but you just brought up another point that I meant to ask you about. I didn't even include it in the notes, but uh, The Athletic wrote an article about how to curb tanking in Major League Baseball. Um, and I think in baseball, it's a little bit different than the NBA. With 162 games, it's hard to explicitly tank, like in the NBA or even the NFL. Um, but you saw it, you know, teams could passively do it. And we look no further than what we talked about last week with the Padres taking advantage mm-hmm. of both the Cubs and the Rays trying to get rid of pieces uh, and acquiring Blake Snell and you Darvish for, I mean, Snell again, give a Patino a top prospect, but not the typical hauls that you would get for two of the top 15 pitchers in baseball. Uh, and one of the ideas, and you mentioned with releasing finances would be to have a salary floor. Um, where teams would have to spend a minimum. Again, they have it in other sports. They have it in the NFL. They have it in the NBA. They have it in the NHL. But usually a salary floor is also associated with a salary cap. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because you mentioned the owners and their finances. Uh, and to me, this whole conversation, everything goes hand in hand with one another. Uh, you know, the Ricketts own a bank. They're billionaires, and they're trying to cut costs. Do you think we could ever see a situation where you could have a salary floor and the minimum amount of spending, but still maintaining the current revenue sharing that the owners have with one another, as well as no salary cap? With no salary cap, I don't think so at all. I don't think that's something the owners would go for, and especially not the small market owners, like you just said, when their whole strategy is to make some money. Winning gets in the way of that, then that'll go by the wayside. Yep. I mean, it's sad, but I think we're seeing uh, we're seeing out of the owners that baseball is not immune to capitalism. That's that's ultimately. Yeah. Uh, One thing that I think is going to be interesting to see really quick is right before we started this podcast on Twitter, there are some reports. I forget exactly who it was. So forgive me. But that the NBA is considering expanding to an additional two teams as a direct result of COVID shortened season financial losses. Do you think that's anything good to see baseball sort of looking into or no? You know, if you'd asked me this question a few weeks ago, I would have said probably, but I think given that Dave Dombrowski took the job as Philly's president of baseball options under the pretense of him pretty much being explicitly told by John Middleton that the Nashville expansion is going to be a few years away. um, I don't see it happening. Um, And I think, Part of it with baseball, too, is, you know, with the American and National League, you obviously got to bring two teams in. Um, but I, I give credit to the NBA because what were the two cities? It was Oklahoma City and what were some of the other – or, sorry, uh, Seattle and what were some of the other favorites for the NBA expansion team? Uh, Vegas, Vancouver, and Kansas City. So I guess that kind of defeats my point. I was going to say, you know, the NBA is going to get into some of these cities before the MLB can expand. But, uh, you know, I think it's certainly something the MLB needs to look into. Uh, you know, the only, the only downside with expansion is, uh, you know, once the Astros switched from the National League to American League for the first time in years, you had three five-team divisions in each league. Uh, so you'll have to recalibrate to four teams in each division. Um, which honestly, I don't really hate that much. If you want to keep the two wild card system as is and go six playoffs, you know, you can make it work and that could also be a way to continue the expanded playoffs. But I don't know. I, I think right now the MLB and the owners need to be so focused on getting through this season and renewing the CBA that expansion would just be something that would be somewhat superfluous at this point. 
Uh, it would be great. It'd be great to see. I know you were surprised at the vocabulary choice I used there. I was a little surprised myself. Don't worry about it. Um, but it'll be interesting. Uh, but I guess going the last point is that J.J. Cooper of Baseball America reported in terms of spring training, the MLB sent a memo to minor league teams today on informing them that the 2021 minor league season at the AA and Class A levels will be delayed. Uh, and MLB told minor league teams that spring training will not be begin until the MLB and AAA players have departed from spring training. Um, so I, I got a couple questions that I want to ask for this, but the first of which is between limiting the draft, I think it was ten five or 10 rounds last year, whichever it was, it was, you know, minuscule compared to what it usually is. I think it was five rounds last year, 10 rounds this year, reshuffling the minor league system. And now this where, you know, the single and double A players, there's a chance they don't step on a field now until April, early April, you know, how much damage had Rob Manford and the owners done and again, some of it is out of control because of COVID, but just done to amateur baseball and, you know, the minor league development system as we know it. I mean, significantly. If you told me that in five, eight years that the minor leagues doesn't exist outside of one affiliate team per each major league team, I would not be shocked. That's not my, my betting favorite, but I mean, that's kind of the direction we're heading. Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing that the fringe player is very much getting weeded out of minor league baseball. And again, most of those guys don't make the jump to the big leagues, but you have guys like Jacob DeGrom who were drafted as a shortstop and who, you know, make these leap in the minor leagues, which sucks. Uh, I guess my last question for you here is, you know, which group do you think takes the hit more here? I guess maybe not takes the hit more, but you know, do you think it's now going to be the triple-A, the double-A players who take the hit more because maybe they get rushed to the major leagues with fewer minor league games or just the lower-level guys who don't have the opportunity to play? I think it's going to be lower-level guys and even some of the older guys who just kind of hover around triple-A for a while or for even most of their careers. They're going to be replaced by, like you said, those sort of younger, higher-upside double-A, single-A guys who are going to be forced up much quicker than – they would have been in years past. So that was going to be my question. You know, if I were to put a Bavada percentage on it for an over and under, uh, do you think we'll see anywhere from like 10 to 15% of guys get shotgunned through the minor leagues quicker than they should have been this year, just so that guys get more reps given that they missed all of last season for the most part? Yeah, I'd take the over. They're going to get thrown into the fire. I mean, it's it's going to be crazy. It's, a, it's certainly a scary time to be a prospect, and that's taking out to account, you know, the – lawsuits and the class action you know with the salary and this and that but I think you're going to see a lot of guys come to the big leagues too early and struggle and it's there's ultimately not going to be many places to go because of how the minor league system is going to be gutted um, but switching yep. to free agent news uh, some hot stove rumors around the league the first have been you know we haven't given a lot of love to my New York Yankees the past few weeks uh, and that's okay. It's good. It's good when you're on and not Bryce because it turns into less of a Yankee Homer podcast. Um, but the title for this episode, I did it before, is If DJ Leaves, We Riot. And not only will I be rioting, I said this last week, and I'm going to repeat it again. There's very few things that would make me cancel my Yankee season tickets. A fucking global pandemic, the likes of the Spanish flu, didn't cause me to cancel it. I rolled my tickets to this year. If the Yankees don't re-sign DJ LeMayhew, I'm going to strongly consider it. Uh, and that comes, my rant comes on the hinge of MLB.com's John Paul Morosi reporting that the defending World Series champion Dodgers have continued to show interest uh, in DJ LeMayu 
as well as the Blue Jays. Uh, again, for the Dodgers, a lot of this is going to hinge on whether they bring back Justin Turner and Kike Hernandez because at that point, their infield is going to be full. Uh, but again, the Dodgers – in my mind, the A's invented the A's and the Rays invented the multi-positional guy. The Dodgers brought it to mainstream with Bellinger, Muncie, Taylor, et cetera, in the playoffs all these years. I mean, what do you make of this? Uh, to me, in my mind, if the Dodgers want LeMahieu, they're going to get him. Uh, you know, their their salary cap, uh, salary cap, their salary sheet is much cleaner than the Yankees. They've shown even more so than the Yankees, Garrett Cole notwithstanding, these past few years that they have no hesitation to spend money. If they let Turner go, especially, he would be an unbelievable fit in this lineup. Uh, but I guess I'll just say it point blank. If you were a betting man on Bavada, would you say DJ's going to the, the Yankees or the field? I would say the Yankees only because the only other place I see him going is the Dodgers, and that's if Turner opts to chase more money elsewhere. I mean, honestly, like you said, if he goes to the Dodgers, he would be – the sign of the offseason. He's a great right-handed bat. He can play first, second, third, which, as you said, Friedman and the Dodgers love. That's their, their calling card at this point. Um, but, yeah, like you said, Dodger fans – or not Dodger fans, Yankees fans would be livid if he just gets let walk, especially for something in the 20 to $25 million range, which is totally reasonable. And even still, if he does walk and leave New York, sure, you'd be able to balance future raises for Judge and Torres a little easier, maybe even pursue a story Lindor, Seager next offseason more capably than you could with LeMahieu on the sheet, but you can't let him walk. Yeah, no, I mean, you can see I'm just shaking my head right now as you say it. Um, I guess you kind of jumped ahead to my next question is, you know, if the Yankees do let him walk, you know, where do the Yankees pivot from here? This offseason, nowhere. I think it's only a subtraction move. I don't think they are able to spend that kind of cap, not cap, but money elsewhere. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, you can bring back DJ and then still have the luxury to go after a Lindor or a story on the trade market. Uh, if DJ signs with another team, I think you have to. Because if you go into the year with, at this point, it would be probably Glaber at second and Tyler Wade at short. I mean, that lineup takes a big hit because Judge is going to get hurt. Stanton's going to get hurt. This is the guy, DJ, who answered the call every single time for the Yankees, always putting the ball in play and was the guy that was so desperately needed in this lineup, the consistency guy on and off the field. And, you know, I think I speak for a lot of Yankee fans when I say there would be a lot of anger uh, at the Steinbrenner family and Cashman if this deal doesn't get done, especially when it just comes down to dollars and cents. Uh, but along those lines, Masahiro Tanaka – you know, he's all but guaranteed he'll get a pay cut. He was still – he's coming off of that first year that he signed with the Yankees where he's making anywhere from 22 to 23 a year. Um, he's a free agent this year for the first time. And it's interesting that this report was made. Randy Miller of NJ.com published Thursday that he would consider returning to Japan if he didn't sign with the Yankees. Uh, he's not interested in signing with a non-contender. Pitched in Japan from 2007 to 2013 for the Rakuten Golden Eagles. Uh, but he then clarified Friday night Tanaka saying he's not limiting his options yet uh, when it comes to major league clubs beyond the Yankees. You know, we've seen veteran guys. I think actually Charlie Morton's a very strong comparison for Tanaka at one year, $15 million. Tanaka at 32, I think, will probably get a two, three-year deal. But I think the 14 to $16 million range is what he's looking at. Uh, so my two questions for you is, one, do you think Tanaka's back in pinstripes? I guess three questions. One, do you think Tanaka's back in pinstripes? 
Two, if not pinstripes, wear. Uh, and three, probably, you know, the most important one, you know, Hiroki Kuroda, he went back to Japan at the end of career, his career when he was done with the Yankees, but that was a guy who's old. Tanaka is still pseudo in his prime and has shown he could get guys out. You know, would you put the Bavada odds on him going, re- realistically going back to Japan at above 25%? So let's start with that one and then work backwards. I put it right around 20, 25%. I think that's sort of the right number. But honestly, I think he's kind of doing the Yankees a favor because, I mean, even though it's been reported that he's keeping his options open among major league teams, it really feels like he's kind of Yankees or bust in America for the for the most part. But if you're Cashman, this is something you have to do. Not only is he a fan favorite and a guy, like you said, who's still very productive, He's exactly what the Yankees need right now. They need a mid-rotation start. You've called atop the rotation, and you've got Garcia and Montgomery, which are fine depth options. But you need that mid-rotation starter who can start the second game of a playoff series. And without Tanaka, you don't have that. Yeah, and, and to me, Tanaka, the luxury is you're going to get Severino back in July. So that is your two-starter, assuming everything goes well in the recovery. If you could just have Tanaka be his usual step stuff, self, with his usual stuff and just step into that two role and get us through like July and through the summer when Herman's back up to full strength when Severino's back. I mean, that is so huge. Uh, and again, like you said, if the Yankees don't bring Tanaka back, you're looking at a rotation behind Garrett Cole opening day of Debbie Garcia, Jordan Montgomery, Clark Schmidt, and probably at that point, Domingo Herman, who hasn't pitched in a major league game since the end of the, or since probably June of the 2019 season. So we're talking a year plus. So yeah, I mean, he's a guy who the Yankees need to bring back. It's great to see that he's so loyal to the club, but I would be very surprised to see him back in Japan. Uh, and the last guy that the Yankees have been connected to and the, the teams that have shown interest in this guy are the Yankees, Red Sox, Astros, Marlins, and Orioles. They've all shown various interest in Yasiel Puig, according to MLB.com's Mark Feinstein. Uh, the last time we saw Puig was in 2019, 785 OPS, 999 OPS plus. Between the Reds and the Indians, 24 home runs. Last year, he signed a minor league deal with the Braves, promptly tested positive for COVID as only Puig could, um, and then was out of baseball all year. I mean, look, Puig, I don't think is ever going to be that guy who he was when he come up, came out. We were expecting a generational superstar. He's never going to be that. But I think he is still an above-average big league corner outfielder at the age of 30, still on the younger side. I would feel comfortable giving him a two-year, two, three-year deal. Uh, and, you know, of those five teams, Yankees, Red Sox, Astros, Marlins, and Orioles, you show teams at varying – levels of contention uh for me especially given that i think he would be an absolute star within the cuban community i think the bavada favorite would have to be the miami marlin signing him they don't have to spend a ton of money in all likelihood to get him he would be a huge hit both locally and with the fan base but what are your thoughts if you were to guess right now beginning of january where is puig playing next year if at all maybe he goes unsigned which would be crazy but crazier shit's happened in the past year yeah, no, I 100% agree that Miami's really the, the odds-on favorite here. And I would say that your guys, the Yankees, are probably the least likely option to pay what he'll be looking for just because of, honestly, sheer need. Among the teams you mentioned, the Red Sox, the Orioles, the Astros, the Marlins, they all finished middle of the pack somewhere between 12 and 15 in home runs last year, whereas the Yankees finished fifth. So with those first four teams I mentioned, he's really an additional power bat when they're looking for more pops in their lineups. And with the Yankees, I feel like he's kind of limited to injury insurance for a judge or stand. 
Yeah, he would be redundant. He would be certainly an upgrade over Mike Talkman, but the difference is we're paying Mike Talkman at most, you know, two million dollars this year. Uh, but with money in mind, given that Puig sat out last year, you know, do we think he's going to be a multi-year guy, a one-year guy? And, and I guess in either circumstance, what does that AAV look like in your mind? I think it's going to be a one-year deal just because he did sit out. Uh, I think it's going to be relatively cheap power ads for any of those teams, and somewhere in the three to five million dollar range. Wow. That's tough. But again, I mean, we're seeing though power isn't on the market like it used to be. And I'll jump ahead a little bit here. Uh, the, um, what's the Japanese team? The Yamori, the, oh my God, I'm going to bounce it, put you this. The Yamori Giants, uh, they, signed, they signed two first basemen who are predominantly known for their power in the big leagues. Uh, Justin Smoke, the 34-year-old, got a two-year deal between 6 to $7 million. Uh, last year with the Brewers and Giants, he had 162, 250, 361. But again, he's had a 30-plus homer year in the past. On uh, Eric Thames, who in Korea from 2014 to 2016 – Hit 349, 451, 721, 124 homers, 382 ribbies. Uh, the KBO, now he's moving over to Japan. He got a one-year deal, $1.2 million. Uh, in the past three years, he's had 72 homers, 118 WRC+. Plus. Uh, so I guess this kind of goes hand-in-hand with Puig in that, you know, what is the market going to look like in the future? Sports in general, we're heading towards market inefficiencies. Are teams just not going to pay for power hitters anymore just because they think they're a dime a dozen and there's these swing analytics with launch angle and everything that they're just banking on the fact that their teams could unlock any of that untapped power? Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it on the head there that just power isn't what it used to be in terms of bringing in dollars. And I think you're going to see a lot of these older guys. And I mean, with Smoke specifically, whatever his breakout year was, 2016, 2017, He's been, what, league average since then. So paying a guy five, six, seven million dollars for league average just isn't worth it for a big league club. Um, the biggest thing that I just can't wrap my head around with this, though, is the difference in salary between Thames and Smoke. Seven million versus 1.2. Yeah, I, I, I don't know with Smoke if there was multiple years attached to that. I would think part of it is smoke is certainly stronger than Thames at, you know, first base. He was, he certainly got a boost last year for the nationals because he could DH uh, alongside Howie Kendrick. But uh, you know, one, I think it's interesting to see how much more that, uh, you know, smoke, there's no way he touches $7 million in the MLB. So it's interesting that a Japanese team would break the bank for him, but it's just one of these things. I mean, probably within the past 10 years, a guy like that, you know, a veteran guy with 25 homer power that could top out at 30 and could still play first base. Those guys were going to get five, ten million dollars a year on the free agent market. And I think this is a one a perplexing example somewhat because the fact that one Japanese team signed two former big league first basemen sort of to fill the same role uh, in the same you know week. Uh, but just the fact that these veteran guys in the middle class of free agency. They're going to be in trouble for the foreseeable future as analytics rise and pennies are pinched. And I think this is a great example of it. Yeah, and I think this is something in terms of names that we recognize going overseas that we're going to see more and more because these leagues in Korea and Japan and elsewhere, they're going to be making more and more money with sort of simulcast games. And ESPN, we saw it with the KBO before the MLB season started, them gaining popularity, especially here. And with sort of the the downfall of the minor leagues, kind of like what we mentioned earlier, 40-man rosters are going to get tighter and tighter for some of these fringe guys, and they're going to find roles overseas. 
yeah, should be interesting to see what's going to happen. But Puig, we'll see where you end up. And uh, for the Giants of Japan, you get a nice couple of big league boppers to watch. Uh, but moving from the Yankees and the AL East to the Blue Jays, we don't know if they're going to be playing in Toronto and Buffalo, but they are apparently in a, probably the two biggest free agents on the market, uh, Trevor Bauer and George Springer. I would say those two and JT Realmuto are probably the trio that are slightly above everybody else. Then DJ slightly below them just because of the age. Um, Trevor Bauer mentioned in a video this week, uh, and again, how many free agents are going to post on their Instagram saying they're meeting with the team? So. I guess credit to Bauer or screw Bauer, depending on how you feel of him. Uh, but he said he was having a phone call and pitch with the Blue Jays and that he planned to talk with their pitching coach and high-performance coach. Um, and, and, again, many people are making fun of the fact that the Blue Jays have been linked to every free agent. But their current payroll is only at $84 million, which is about half of the franchise record of $163 million set in 2017. Uh, so they have some money to spend. And, again, part of that is, other than Ryu, everybody on this team is young, whether it's – you know, Gurriel, Tiasco, Hernandez, the big three, Bichette, Biggio, Vlad, whoever it is, they're paying these guys absolutely nothing. Um, and on top of it, when it comes to Bauer, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins were both part of the Indians organization when Bauer was traded from the Diamondbacks to the Indians. Uh, personally, I don't see Bauer ending up in Toronto. Um, but what are your thoughts on the fact that the Blue Jays are, seem to be in the mix on all of these guys? Yeah, it's kind of been baffling to me. And with Bauer especially, obviously, I've been a little spiraled just by all of the reports, false reports, whatever they end up being about sort of what his contract demands have been. I just don't see the Jays willing to go that high or really anywhere near it. I would find it really surprising. And if that truly is what Bauer's looking for, I think it's kind of the Mets or nothing because – Right now, they have the owner with the fattest pockets. Yeah, I would think it would have to be the Mets, maybe the Dodgers as a response to the Padres getting Snell and Darvish. But with Springer, it's even more interesting because uh, the report of the New York Daily News and SNY, they said that um, the Mets and Springer, despite being still a good distance apart on value, that the Mets and the Blue Jays are the two favorites. Uh, and Springer's asking for well over $150 million. Uh, An interesting status on Twitter is since opening day 2019, uh, Springer has a 153 WRC+. Plus, and the only hitters who have been better than that are Mike Trout, Nelson Cruz, Bregman, Yelich, Soto, and Rendon. So, again, seventh best player in baseball by WRC+. Plus. Uh, which just shows how valuable he's been in center field. But again, he's 31 years old. He's not super, super young. Do you think Springer, I guess, one, is going to get $150 million, But two, does it make any sense for a team like the Blue Jays who already have such a strong, young offensive nucleus to be spending all that money on another bat when they really could use another pitcher behind Ryu? Yeah, I don't think Springer ends up going to Toronto. I mean, he just doesn't really – make that much sense like you, you said you got all the young guys you got Biggio, Bichette, uh, Guerrero and adding Springer in center field and push, push, pushing Grishek to a corner spot would be a better defensive fit but yeah I just don't see it happening. All right if I were to ask you right now who the Bavada favorites are in your opinion uh, for the both Bauer and George Springer who do you see them signing with? I guess Bauer you mentioned uh, the Mets before but I think Mets for both, to be honest. I think they're going to try to make an irresponsible splash. All right. Well, then here's going to be my follow-up question for you there. If they sign – you know, if they have Springer – if they sign Springer, then they they officially have a glut of big league outfielders. 
Uh, and all quality ones, too, between Conforto, Nemo, Springer, J.D. Davis. Do you think that there is a world where they sign Springer and Bauer and James McCann will loop him in and still pull off a Francisco Lindor trade all in one offseason? I think as crazy as it is, the answer is yes. It's in the realm of possibility, sure. And so I have a follow-up question that's kind of a hypothetical scenario that I dreamt up in my head right before uh, our talk here for you, a Yankees fan. So you mentioned Bauer possibly going to the Dodgers as a potential landing spot. And the only reason I don't necessarily see that happening now is because the Dodgers just don't need more pitching. They need a power right-handed bat more than anything right now. Yeah, I mean, Which is why, obviously, LeMahieu is a great fit. And then, and then we, you know, we talk about Bryce and I have talked about this a bunch. I mean, they're going to have the great problem to have of: Do you want to pay Bueller, Seager, or Bellinger? So here we go. Let's say that the Dodgers want to sign Trevor Bauer. They believe in his most recent seasons, and they're going to sign him to a two to three year deal. Okay. In order to make this work, they propose a trade to your New York Yankees. Oh. Aaron Judge for a package of Walker Bueller. AJ Pollock and Gavin Locks. Ugh. <laughs> I think I can I give you two different answers. Sure. The fan in me says you cannot trade Aaron Judge. Sure. Um, and to be honest, with that return, as much as I love Walker Bueller, the offense would be tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the idea of Glaber and Lux up the middle offensively would be great. Defensively, that would be a catastrophic nightmare. Um. And A.J. Pollock is just not going to replace Judge. I think you would have to think of it. Um, but but I, I don't think you can make that trade, you know, I would say without getting Bellinger in return. But that's, you know, yeah, I, that's, I, that's like an impossibility. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's a fun hypothetical. But, I, you know, to trade Aaron Judge, you at least need uh, – you need, you need to replace him on and off the field, which I think would be tough. But all that said – Holy shit, would Garrett Cole and Walker be on this one, one, two, punch? Severino, one, two, three. Debbie, four. Oh, my God. Screw it. Let's do the trade. Who needs to score runs when the other team can't score off of you? The Giants did it the time. I'm just kidding, Judge. I would never do that to you. You're my, you're my second coming of the biracial angel behind Derek Jeter, and you know that. <laughs> anyway, we'll stick in the NL West with the Padres. Uh, A.J. Preller said that now that they have made trades, uh, they've had very preliminary type conversations on a Fernando Tatis extension and that they are hoping towards working something out and finding common ground at some point before the season. Uh, Tatis is one year away from arbitration. He has four years of team control before he become a free agent following the 2024 season. And this is crazy to say out loud. He's going to hit free agency at 25. So if all goes well, this is going to blow away the yeah. Harper, Mookie, whatever contract. Uh, so let's start with this question. If you're Tatis's camp, are you even considering signing any kind of an extension? No chance, not right now. Because in 2019, he played 27 games, was injured for over a month, played another 57, was injured the rest of the year. Then he played only 59 games last year, and there was a pretty significant drop-off after game 46. And so playing a full season or at least most of one this year without an injury or said drop-off is going to just expedite and enhance his value. All right. So let's say he hits free agent at 24. So they have four years left of team control. And Mm -hmm. let's say they want to sign him to a six-year deal for – so he'll still hit free agency around 27, 28. 
if they offer six for 150 right now, you don't at least consider that if you're Tatis? I think the most likely scenario if he does sign something is something similar to what Trout agreed to with the Angels in 2014 when they extended him for six years, um, guaranteed him more money now, and pushing his free agency back a year or two. All right, then I'll throw out a number. We'll go with uh, a Bavada over-under. If a Tatis extension is in place, uh, let's go over-under uh, from today, six years, and over-under $200 million. I'm going to go over six years, under on the $200 million. I think it would come in right at around seven for 160 Yeah, I think it's going to be closer to like 180 Like if you're going seven years, 180 maybe six for 150 But yeah, I'd be around there. Here's my last thought on Tatis. How much do you think mm-hmm. they're waiting to see what happens with Lindor, where Tatis will hit free agency at a younger and argu- younger age, and arguably as long as everything pans out with more production? I mean, it's definitely worth seeing. Just having more information, just sort of how the market is leaning, is always beneficial. It'll be interesting. Uh, the next guy we're going to talk about right now is a guy who the Padres drafted. And they traded to the Cleveland Indians for Jake Westbrook. Always liked Jake Westbrook, but probably not as good of a big league pitcher as Corey Kluber, uh, the two-time American Cy Young winner who has been battling injuries the past two years. Uh, He's going to throw a bullpen session, uh, 30 pitches next week on January 13th in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Uh, 34 years old, 2014 to 2018. 183 games, 285 ERA, averaged 218 innings per season. Again, won those two Cy Youngs. Uh, but he fractured a unla bone in his right arm on a comeback in May 2019. Strained his oblique with a comeback in late August. And then last year, got traded to the Rangers. Never really pitched for them. Uh, he blew out his right shoulder 18 pitches uh, into his Rangers debut on July 26, 2020. So let's say Kluber's healthy, or even if he's 75 80%. You're still getting a solid big league pitcher. This is a guy I would love the Yankees to be in on because I think there is so much upside there. Uh, but in me and Bryce's mind, there is a very clear favor for who needs to sign Corey Kluber. Uh, but before I say mine, I'll ask you, who do you think right now is the Bavada favorite for Corey Kluber's services next season? Mm, that's hard. I think if they're not as big as spenders as we or as is reported, I think Toronto would be somewhat of a decent fit just because in a time when teams are especially concerned about pitcher workloads coming off a shortened season and owners are hesitant to spend a lot of money, kind of like what we touched on, Kluber can sort of provide that established track record at a pretty discounted rate. But like you said, the risk is obvious. He's only got 36 and two-thirds innings over the past two years. To me, Bryce called this from the get-go. The Red Sox need to sign Corey Kluber. This is a risk you have to take. You could probably get him for $10 to $12 million. And if all goes well come May and you're one, two, three, that upside of Chris Sale, Eduardo Rodriguez, Kluber, and then Evaldi slides into the four hole, all of a sudden the Red Sox could be competitive. Yeah, I'm liking that. Like it would suck for the Yankees, but, uh, you know, high and bloom from one member of the tribe to another. Go sign Corey Kluber. He's going to really help your team. Uh, another team that just made a move to fill a weakness was the Phillies. Their bullpen last year was comically bad. If it wasn't for their bullpen, almost definitely you would say the eight seed, right? I mean, the Brewers mm-hmm. got in at 29-31. and 31. 
Giants, you guys were tied with them up until the last day of the year. Yep. I think the Phillies only finished like a game or two back. Uh, it was a three-team trade. Rays, Phillies, and Dodgers, uh, but the big piece being left-handed Jose Alvarado. He went from the Rays to the Phillies. Minor league first baseman Dylan Paulson and a player to be named later went from the Dodgers to the Rays, and then the Phillies announced that Garrett Clevenger was sent from the Dodgers to – sorry, went to the Dodgers from Philadelphia to complete the trade. Um, Not much to talk about with Paulson and Clevenger, but Alvarado is a guy I want to talk about uh, because I've seen him coming out of the bullpen for the Rays, and the past two years – He's been so-so. Uh, but in 2018, I mean, this guy was a lights-out lefty. 2-3-9 ERA, 11.3 Ks per nine, over 64 appearances, 70 games. Um, last year, still at 12 Ks per nine. But, again, the control just kind of completely went bye-bye, 7.6 Ks per nine. Made it back in the postseason, went through one and two-thirds scoreless innings uh, in the Rays' victory over the Astros in the ALCS. Only 25 years old, controlled over three seasons with the arbitration process. Um, perhaps most importantly, career 600 OPS against against lefties, 622 against righties, so dominant against both sides. Um, to me, if the Phillies – I think Brian Price is still their pitching coach. If you could figure out the control issues, you're looking at the next cl- closer of the Philadelphia Phillies. I'm sure you could take this even further because you usually have cool analytic data that I don't look at. Uh, what are your thoughts on this trade from the Phillies' perspective? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a, it's a natural fit. They've been desperate for relief help in recent years, so this just makes so much sense. Um, Alvarado's got a turbo sinker, which is going to be a, a nice addition to them. But what's most interesting to me is that – tell me if you have something that I'm not remembering, but Alvarado was left off the Rays World Series roster. Was there a reason given for that? And now he's been dealt in a three-team deal. There seems to be something sort of behind the scenes that I'm missing. I think it was just a lack of production. And, uh, you know, in the the playoffs, you just got to ride with the hot arm. Uh, It does seem funny to me that, you know, that they would have him on the ALCS roster, not the World Series roster. I agree with you there. Um, But, you know, like they said, when you make a trade, the team that trades you is the one who often knows best. So we'll see. There probably is something we don't know here. But, you know, the upside is as big as any guy. Um, I mean, the next two signings we're going to talk about, very safe signings, not a whole lot of upside. The first of which is uh, the Tigers signed Robbie Grossman to a two-year, $10 million deal. Uh, It's going to be the fourth team for Grossman, a sixth-round pick uh, who has played for parts of the big leagues, parts of big league seasons with the Astros, Twins, and A's, played a small portion of his career in Houston under then-manager A.J. Hinch, who is now the Tigers skipper. Um, The guy who's not going to jump off the page, Grossman, 250 uh, career hitter, 50 home runs, 37 stolen bases, and over 2,700 plate appearances. But career 350 on base percentage. Last year, W20, 126 WRC+, will probably be their primary left fielder. Um, again, not a move that's going to excite Tigers fans, but another solid big league player to add to the team. He's got history with A.J. Hinch. Anything fun and exciting you can add to make you know Robbie Grossman seem fun and exciting? I mean, it'll be interesting to see him in Detroit just with that ballpark because he had the second largest increase in pull percentage among qualifiers from 2019 to 2020, and his slugging percentage jumped nearly 145 points as a result. So it'll be interesting to see how he performs in Detroit. But, I mean, this deal in particular, what Bob Nightingale sort of tweeted out, and I hadn't really realized just how slow this winter has been because this Two for 10 deal is the largest by a free agent outfielder so far. That's atrocious. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I mean, it's, uh, and I guess I guess to take this a step further, you know what what is the, what's the A's? You might know as Bay Area sports guy more than me, even as a Giants fan. But you know, in all likelihood, the A's are going to lose Grossman, uh, Marcus Simeon, and somebody else in free agency, and Liam Hendricks in free agency. You know, those were three pretty big pieces of that team that finally won a playoff series this year. Uh, you know, what, what are the A's going to look like this year? And and do you think, given that the market's so slow, maybe that does mean Simeon's going to be back in Oakland next year? I think it definitely helps that possibility. But, I mean, in terms of this current A sort of core, I think that one playoff win is kind of their peak. I think you're going to see with – as other Oakland teams have kind of done after sort of a hot streak. Oakland is not afraid to sort of get rid of them quickly and retool. We, we, we know that all too well. Uh, and another team that's retooling in their bullpen are the Minnesota twins. Uh, Trevor May and Matt Wisler have left Sergio Romo and Tyre Clippert are free agents. Uh, so they needed some help with Trevor Rogers uh, in the back there. And they signed Hansel Robles to a one-year $2 million contract. He was non-tendered by the Angels on December 2nd, uh, rather than pay him a projected arbitration salary in the $4 million range. Last year at age 30, 10.26 ERA over 16 and two-thirds innings in a large part due to 2.2 home runs per half innings. Um, but again, we've seen him pitch solid very recently. Um, he got traded to the Angels in the deadline in 2018, 2.97 ERA in 36 and a third innings there. Um, overall, 2.48 ERA for the Angels in 2019 as their closer, 9.3 Ks per nine, 23 saves. Uh, this, to me, is so far this offseason one of the better under-the-radar moves, a solid bullpen piece. We've seen what the Twins can do with relief pitchers in terms of maximizing their velocity. Um, any thoughts on the Twins adding Hansel Robles to the bullpen? Yeah, like you said, he's got a mid-90s fastball slider that he uses for his righties and a decent change that he uses for his lefties. And so if they can get him back to where he was before that disastrous 2020, he'll be a solid replacement for Sergio Romo as a – right-handed setup man who's got some closing experience. Yeah, I mean, these are these are when you're a contending team. And I said it last week, it's the moves the Yankees used to make. It's buying low on these veteran guys. It's going to pay off in the end. And worse comes to worse, if all you lose is money, so be it. You're losing money anyway. There's not going to be any fans in the stands. Um, to wrap up, before we – pick who we think is going to be the best player on every team next year. Uh, I wanted to look at the Hall of Fame ballot, but even before that, I wanted to look back at a trade that Andy McCullough talked about in the Athletic last week. Um, and it's, you know, when we talk about bad prospect for players trades, the Chris Archer trade is at the top of the list, and rightfully slow. I mean, Meadows is a stud. Glass now is handsome with a hammer of a fastball on a curve, and Shane Baz is still an ascending prospect. But a trade that I never would have thought of uh, took place between the Dodgers and the Reds. Um, and that trade was Matt Kemp, Yasiel Puig, and Alex Wood uh, for Homer Bailey's contract and a couple of A-ball prospects. And that's not a trade that you think of as a bad trade. Um, but at the same time, Matt Kemp got cut after 20 games. Puig got a 94 OPS plus and became part of the Trevor Bauer trade. And then Alex Wood hurt his back, barely pitched for the Reds. Um, and on the Dodgers side of things, two of those prospects, Josiah Gray is the best arm in the Dodgers system, a top 10 pitching prospect in the game, top 30 or so overall prospect. Um, and Jeter Downs, outside of Alex Verdugo, he was a very main piece as a top 100 prospect that was included in the Mookie Betts trade. Um, 
I understand why this trade isn't talked about in some of the terrible trades of the past decade. But now that we just said that out loud, maybe one of the five to ten worst trades of the decade, what do you think? Yeah, no, just like you said, it is really bad. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Was this a uh, was this a Friedman trade? I believe yeah. so. Okay, makes sense, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it just it just goes to show, and, and I, you know, I'll I'll even criticize myself. I talked about Garrett Clevenger in that three team trade. Who knows? Garrett Clevenger could go on to be a stud, and that's the beauty of these trades. You know, these prospects go under the radar, and you never know what's going to happen. Uh, but all of these guys on the Hall of Fame ballot, they are not under the radar. and We know exactly what their careers look like. Um, if you don't already follow him on Twitter, follow at not Mr. Tibbs, Ryan Thibodeau. He does the Hall of Fame tracker every year. Uh, so far, there have been 115 public ballots plus nine anonymous or unverifiable ballots. Um, so that is given the estimated total ballots cast at 396, around 31.3% of ballots are known right now. Um, so there's a few players that I want to look at right now who have taken um, a pretty solid jump uh, from this year to last year. Uh, and the first one I want to say is um, Bobby Abreu. Bobby Abreu was up eight votes. He's at 15.3%. Not a guy who I think is going to get in to the Hall of Fame, but seems to be a guy that the Sabermetric community loves. Uh, Ryan Spader, you know, I, there's a lot of ways where Abreu's career compares favorably to Tony Gwynn. And to me, Abreu is nowhere near the stratosphere of Tony Gwynn. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, you know, what are your thoughts on Abreu? Because I, I think with baseball, I, look, I do look at stats a little more holistically than I look at at football when you guys yell at me for thinking Derrick Henry should be the MVP. Um, but, like, when we watch Bobby Abreu play, really good player, but never a guy I thought, oh, there's Bobby Abreu, Hall of Famer. And I say that as a guy who watched him as an all-star for the Yankees. I mean, I feel like Bobby Abreu is one, is an extension of the classic conversation of when you're looking at Hall of Fame, are you talking about constant longevity of being good or peak three to five year greatness? Because, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but when I remember Bobby Abreu, like you said, I remember being a pretty good player, 10, 12 years. Never the dang Bobby Abreu is the upper echelon of baseball right now 100 percent. i always thought he was a he would have been a good player on a good team yep so bonds and clemens they have both gained one vote uh bonds is at 74.2 percent clemens is at 73.4 percent uh last year they both finished right around the 69 70 percent mark uh so again I'll give you right now another Bavada over under. Uh, do you think Bonds or Clemens finish above 71% this year, given that it's their ninth year on the ballot and the clock is ticking at this point? I think under this year, over next year. So you think they're in next year? I do. Or do you think I'm going to actually – we could split the in-between. You, do you think there's any shot they go over 71 but under 75? Not this year, no. I mean, just with the way it's tracking and just kind of the general consensus that I've seen on Twitter, I don't think this is the year. All right. The guy who has gained the most votes on the ballot, and this is someone that I am all for, uh, right now he's pulling a 54.8% of all ballots in his third year. Todd Helton, uh, he's gained 20 more vote, 24 votes. Uh, look, to me, I get Coors Field. Coors Field doesn't give you a career on-base percentage of 415. Um, and if Helton played in any other era – He's won multiple MVPs. His numbers are so overshadowed by that of 
Bonds, Sosa, et cetera. I mean, one year he had 372 with 49 homers. He finished fifth in the MVP voting. Any other year we're talking about that is one of the best offensive years in baseball history. Um, I guess my question for you is how much do you think Helton is being helped by the fact that once Larry Walker got into the Hall of Fame last year, the Coors Field floodgates were opened, so to speak? I definitely think it helps. I mean, just having sort of that precedent there to not make the excuse anymore. And I mean, we have ballpark and other adjusted data to compare it to. And if you look at just in sort of his peak of 2000, 2004, he was far and away the second best player in baseball behind Barry Bonds, second best weighted on base percentage and third best war behind Bonds and A-Rod. Should not he be the beat out Peyton Manning at quarterback. That's got to count for something. Yeah. Uh, another guy who made a jump, he jumped with 15 votes. He's pulling at 44.4% of the ballot this year in his fourth year of eligibility. That's Andrew Jones. Me and, me and Bryce talked about, about this at length, and I want your opinion on this. And, I, and I'll bring it in, too. Uh, Omar Vizquel right now is pulling at 39.5%. He's gained seven votes. Uh, to me, Omar right now with the domestic abuse stuff, it's a real double standard if you, A, vote for Omar and you don't vote for Schilling. Uh, because Schilling's never actually harmed anybody. Um, but B, how much of a double standard is it in your mind if people vote for Omar Vizquel on the strength of, oh, he was the best defensive shortstop I've ever seen. He won 11 gold gloves. But don't vote for Andrew Jones, who won 10 gold gloves in center field and also had 430 homers in his career and was a part of a Braves dynasty. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of nailed it on the head there. You can't have one and not the other. You can't pick and choose with sort of your rationale there. Jeff Kent, just shout out to Jeff Kent. Ken Rosenthal said today, everybody bitches about how he was shitty at second base. But we played 2,000 games at that position, so we couldn't have been too bad if teams let him do it until 40. But I digress there. Um, another guy, and of everybody I just named, I think he is trending the most towards induction. I think he's been taken up on the cause of the Edgar Martinez, Tim Raines train. Uh, and that's Scott Rowland. He's up to 68.5% on public ballots. He's gained 20 votes. Uh, only in his fourth year on the ballot. I think by year six or seven, he's in. But Roland is another guy. You know, when I compare him to other players in his position, I get the Hall of Fame case. You know, one eight gold gloves, silver, seven silver sluggers. When you compare him especially to Ron Santo, who got into the Hall of Fame, Roland should be in. But was Roland ever a guy when we watched? And we were there for peak Roland with those Pools and Edmund Cardinals teams. Did you ever look at Scott Roland and say, I'm watching a Hall of Famer? No, never. And I mean, to that point, among guys born from 1970 to 1980, he was born in 75, so kind of his direct age peers, he is outside the top 20 in every major offensive category except for doubles and hit batters. But he was an extraordinary fielder. So among that same group, he's eighth in war. It's, uh, it's interesting and just how much – you know, again, I'm all for expanded stats, and, and I think the fact that it allowed the Tim Raines and the Edgars of the world to get into the Hall of Fame is great. It's just, uh, you know, with a guy like Roland or Abreu, I just think it overstates the case. I have way less of a problem with Roland getting in than Abreu, but, you know, the fact that we're talking about both is pretty crazy. Uh, Schilling has only gained one vote, ninth year on the ballot. Uh, to me, I, I, my thoughts on Schilling is what he said is terrible. His persona is terrible, but there's – probably maybe three to four pitchers ever that I'd rather have on the mound than a big game. 
you know, maybe Bob Gibson, Seaver, John Smoltz, Schilling is probably my quartet. Uh, and for that reason, the guy's got to be a Hall of Famer. He's got the best strikeout to walk ratio ever in a career. What do you think? Do you think voters put their prejudices of Kurt Schilling's prejudices aside that he gets in or he screwed himself? I think he screwed himself. Like you said, he is not in solely because of off-field stuff. And I think it did him in permanently. Isn't it ironic, though, and uh, Rosenthal and Verducci pointed this out today, and they both voted for Schilling, that writers who are supposed to be the champions of freedom of speech are keeping a guy out of the Hall of Fame because of his political beliefs, essentially? Hey, people love to police what they believe in. All right, here's going to be the last guy I want to talk about. Seven votes uh, – sorry, excuse me, he's getting 18 votes, 50%. Uh, his sixth year on the ballot, I'm feeling good for him in the future, and that's Billy Wagner. Um, I know it's really hard to quantify relief pitchers in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, you look at this guy on a per-numbers basis, he's probably as dominant of any relief pitcher in baseball history and still had 422 saves, seven-time All-Star. It's not like he didn't have the great counting numbers, but I think if you make the cutoff 1,000 innings, he's got the highest Ks per nine ever. Um, With all that said, do you think, and again, this goes to longevity, like, if you wanted to have one pitcher at the end of the game, I think a lot of people would say they'd rather have Billy Wagner over Trevor Hoffman. Trevor Hoffman pitched for almost 20 years, though, and finished up with over 600 saves. Uh, all that said, do you think Wagner is trending towards induction at Cooperstown? I think he is. And like you said, for me, his sort of most defining feature is the fastball. It might be one of up there among the top six, eight most dominant single pitches in the history of baseball. And what's interesting about Bobby Wagner, or it's not Bobby Wagner, Billy Wagner to me, uh, is sort of just setting the precedent for some of the guys in the league right now. There's only ever been eight relief pitchers inducted into the hall. So if a guy like Billy Wagner doesn't make it, I don't think you're going to be seeing the the top-tier relief pitchers in the league right now, like Chapman and Jansen, make it down the road. I totally agree with you. And I think it's hard, and I felt this way about Mike Mussina, you're almost – punishing guys for retiring when they're at their most dominant. Wagner's last year with the Braves was an all-star. I think he had 39 saves in a 178 ERA, and it was similar to Mucina, you know, who took uh, five, six years to get into the hall. Mucina retired with 20 wins at age 38, 270 career wins. He could have stuck around for 300. If Wagner stuck around, he probably could have pitched another two, three years and gone into that 500 save mark. But you're penalizing guys for retiring. It's almost like, Everyone gets mad when a guy is compiling a compiler, quote unquote, because they stick around for stats. But on the flip side, then how could you punish guys for retiring when they're most dominant who didn't want to stick around just to compile stats? Yeah, I agree. So real catch 22. Uh, but to wrap up, very fun article on MLB.com this week. Uh, it was published by uh, Will Leach yesterday. Uh, and it was, who do you think is going to be the team, each team's, MVP in 2021. Uh, Some are going to be very obvious. Others are not. But we will just go right down the list team by team. I'll say the team, you say the player. And if we're too far off, we'll have a little debate. Uh, So for the Blue Jays, who you got? Vlad. I think Vlad's the easy answer. I think he is going to be skinny and ready to rock. I'm going to go Bo Bichette just because I think premium numbers at shortstop outweigh premium numbers at first base. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that's going to be a trend with this is I'm going to pick the easy answers and you're going to be the different yeah, guy be, with a lot of opinions. You'd be surprised. Who do, you, who do you have for the Orioles? I got Mancini. I said Mancini as well. Last season we saw okay. him 35 homers. Give him the comeback player of the year award now. 
Yeah. Um, the Rays. I, I mean, there's really like three guys. So which of the three did you choose? I leaned towards Brandon Lau, but I'm going with Glass now. He's just awesome. I said him before, the handsomest pitcher in baseball. I got to go Glass now. Uh, the Red Sox. A lot of people probably go Devers and Bogarts. Did you go into them? Yeah, I went with Devers. I mean, he's only 24, and so he could be on the path to superstardom. But I mean, two years ago, he was a superstar. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go for Dugo. I think he comes out of the shadow. Mookie hits 50 doubles off the monster this year. Maybe he wins a gold glove. Um, the Yankees. Who did you choose for the Yankees? I went with Garrett Cole. How could I not? I'm going to go with a healthy Giancarlo Stanton mashing 50 home Over runs. Aaron Judge, huh? No, I'm just going to go with Stanton. He was so good in the okay. playoffs. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, so we're now in the AL Central. Uh, I had to go with the tie here, Ramirez and Bieber. Both are incredible. Yeah, I went with Bieber, but I have no qualms with uh, Jose Ramirez. Who do you got for the Royals? I don't love it, but Salvador Perez, I mean – he was a monster down the stretch and he could be back to all-star level this year, but I mean, him as their best player is just so discouraging. I'm going to go with, uh, I went with Carlos Santana. He led the AO in walks last year. And I think progression to the mean is going to make him like a 260 high hitter with 28 or so homers and is still, you know, still a good eye. Tigers. I went with the dartboard uh, pitching throw of Spencer Turnbull. Casey Mize. Yeah, Casey's a good pick. A lot of my picks I like to like change it up too, uh, which is why for the Twins I went with Larissa Reyes. Uh, hit three forty as a rookie last year. Hit over three hundred again. Elite contact skills, um, but the easy answer is probably Jose Barrios. I went Jose or not Jose Josh Donaldson because when healthy, I think he's their best player. This is going to be one of the toughest ones for us to pick, the White Sox, because there are so many options, um, and you really can't go wrong with them. Who did you pick for the White Sox? So I picked Giolito, but my dark horse by the end of the year is Madrigal. Another guy. We love, we love second baseman to put the ball in play. Uh, I went with Eloy yeah. Jimenez, won the Silver Slugger last year. I think this is the year it makes the full jump to 40 home runs, superstardom. Um, AL West. I like how neither of us picked the reigning AL MVP, by the way. You know what? I think it's going to be – it's very it's very hard for an MVP, for a first baseman to be the MVP in the modern game. Um, yeah, that's fair. You know, I think the shortened season helped tremendously in that regard. Uh, we're certainly mm. some of the defensive value, especially in a Braves case. Angels, Mike Trout. Mike Trout. <laughs> Could have maybe been Rendon, but Mike Trout. Um, let's go with uh, let's go with the Astros. I went with Bregman, but I don't love it. I mean, he was sort of a perennial MVP candidate for a couple years up until last year, but eh. He, this guy carried my fantasy team on the mound. I drank the Kool-Aid. Give me the big lefty, Framber Valdez. Okay, okay. Nasty hook, nasty sinker. I like him. A's, Matt Chapman was the easy pick, so I went across the diamond. Uh, also wins a bunch of gold gloves. I'm going to go with Matt Olson fully breaking out into mainstream this year. I love it. I went with the easy pick of Chapman. He's my dark horse MVP this year. Very good pick. Who's your pick for the Mariners? How could you not go with the AL Rookie of the Year, Kyle Lewis? I went with Marco Gonzalez, sneaky good pitcher. That's how I went. Okay, <laughs> okay. okay. 
Um, and the Rangers, I really just didn't want to pick Joey Gallo, even though he's the only player most fans know. Uh, so I'm going to say <laughs> David Dahl reverts back to all-star form in Texas. Okay. I want the easy pick, Joey Gallo. All right, we're in the National League. Uh, let's start with the West. Who'd you go with for the Dodgers? See, this one was hard uh, because I love Walker Bueller, and I think he might be there at the end of this year. But, I mean, it's Mookie, man. Duh. Yeah, I want Walker just because I think he's going to win the Cy Young. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Padres, I went with one of the recently acquired guys. As great as the bats are, you put you Darvish's swing and miss stuff in a pitcher's park, I think uh, heads are going to roll. And he maybe wins that Cy Young that he – I know I just said Walker Buehler's going to win the Cy Young, so screw me, right? Um, but I think you Darvish is here to stay. Okay. I went with Machado because I think he has a sneaky little bounce back compared to last year. A bounce back compared to last year? Finished third in the MVP voting. Higher. All right. Your Giants, we both have Mike Pastramski. Yeah. All right. Sadly, that's, that's the best we got. Rockies, I want Trevor Story over Arenado. I think there's just more. I did as well. Value. Yep, same here. And for the Diamondbacks, I went with the changeup of Zach Gallen. I went with my guy, Mad Bum. I, I just refuse to believe he is what he was in 2020. That's okay. I can't, I can't buy into that. It's okay because you didn't pick Cattell Marte. There we go. All right, let's go to the NL Central now. Um, we'll start with the Cubs, now depleted. I think Javi Baez is their best shot for the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, he's probably up there. Honestly, I think Wilson Contreras might be their best player at the, his position. It's a good choice. Um, to the Pirates, I'm going to go son of Charlie Hayes and my pick for the – I can't be NL Rookie of the Year. He was actually eligible last year. But give me Cabrian Hayes. I think we're about to witness a big, big all-star year for a young player in Pittsburgh. Uh, I went with Brian Reynolds, the uh, one player on that roster who has a chance, however small, at winning a batting title. Yeah, but you know what? He might not win a batting title, but Cole Tucker is now dating Vanessa Hudgens. Ooh. I'm intrigued. So that's pretty cool. They went public today. Uh, Cardinals, I love Jack Flaherty. He's my favorite pitcher in baseball, but I think it's going to be Paul Goldschmidt. I went with Flaherty. Reds, as long as they don't trade him, they're going to live and die with Luis Castillo on top of the rotation. I went with Eugenio Suarez to, to be their centerpiece star. And here's an interesting one, the Brewers. You have Yelich, who had a down year but is – just a year removed or two years removed from an MVP. Probably should have won in 2019, in my opinion. You have Corbin Burns, who was a Cy Young top 10 finisher. But I'm not going with either of them. I'm going with Brandon Woodruff. Yeah, I think that's just bad, dude. It's Yelich. And I know he didn't play to his top tier last year, but he's still their best player by a lot. All right. And moving to the NL East now, uh, the Braves. I think Freddie Freeman, Acuna, and Alves all split the vote. I'm a big Max Freed guy. Give me Max Freed. Ronald Acuna, did you see his uh, videos working out today? Oh, he's a beast. I mean, I'm going to probably yeah. bet on Acuna to win the MVP, but I'm still going to go Max Freed. Okay. Marlins, give me the ace, Sandy Alcantara. Okay. I want Starling Marte. Phillies, I'm going to go. Is I think Harper is going to have another huge year, but I think Zach Wheeler further untaps another level for the Phillies this year. 
I want Bryce Harper, and I mean, I think he's more than earned his contract so far. He hasn't been 2015 Bryce Harper, but he's doing well enough. For the for the New York Mets, uh, Jacob Degrom, yes. Jacob Degrom. All right, and then let's end with a fun one. I think we're both going to pick the same one, but it could be Scherzer, it could be Strasburg, but do we both agree for the Nationals? It's Juan Soto. It's Juan Soto, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how many NL MVPs he and Acuna collectively win over the next ten years. Um, I would say for the next decade, I'm just going to bet at the beginning of the year on one of Soto, Tatis, or Acuna to win the MVP. Every single year? Every single year until I'm proven. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, what, who says no at that point? <laughs> all right, that is all I got for today. Any concluding thoughts for this week's show, our first in 2021? I got nada. It's going to be a better year. Going to be a better year ahead indeed. Um, NFL playoffs, check it out this Saturday and Sunday. Hopefully Sam's brownies can overcome their coaching I wouldn't even say deficiencies. I would just say lack of appearances. Um, mm-hmm. And the city of Philadelphia, you're a bunch of fucking cowards. You know exactly what you did. Uh, with Sam Schmall, my name is Chase Minorski. This is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. Have a great week.